Hey, welcome to the Celebration Church Podcast. We hope this helps you to know God better and to trust Him more. To keep up with us or to get more information, visit CelebrationChurchLive.com. Well, we uh, kicked off at the beginning of the year a series called Beginning. So, makes sense, you know, we're going to look at what it looks like biblically to begin strong. And maybe you didn't have a strong beginning this year, but guess what? God's mercies are new every morning. So, uh, we're still in the morning. God's mercies are new. Let's have a strong beginning here and now. Uh, if you've got your Bible app, your bulletin, however it is you're going to track with us, we've, we've led with this idea that life works best when we begin with God. It just makes sense. God understands he's, he's the one who created it all, that if we would look to him first, it, it would make sense that, that would make a difference. In fact, Jesus taught us this when he was had the speaking of the Sermon on the Mount um, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, and tells us this. He says, but seek first his kingdom, that's God's kingdom, and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. What makes sense that if we would open up to God's kingdom, which is just him being king, him being Lord, that's where we've got to start with this. And let's just be honest. That's our daily battle. We want, kind of want to be in charge. We want to be the ones who are, are push, trying to push this, uh, our lives forward. We'll kind of include God here and there in different spaces. But the truth is, is that we, if we'll seek his kingdom and let him be king, him be Lord in our lives, that begins to shift and change things. And with that, then allowing his righteousness and seek his righteousness, which is simply what God says is right. It's not mystical. It's not hard to decipher. Seeking God's righteousness is whatever he says is right. So if we'll let him be Lord, which then we want his will and his way, and then we seek what that will and way is, well, my goodness, that things will begin to align up. And then he promises us this isn't about him. He's not saying, seek me first and my kingdom first because um, that's what I want. I'm God and this is going to go the way I say it's going to go. No, he does it for our benefit. He does it for us. He says, and then all these things will be added unto you. Well, all these things, just a couple of verses before, we know what those are. It's what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? Just the daily stuff. And so God isn't also, he's not like holding those things back. Well, I know you need these things. These are kind of important to your life, um, but you didn't seek my kingdom. You didn't seek my righteousness. So yeah, you, you, you can't have it. I'm, I'm holding that back. No, that's not what he's doing either. That, that, that's toxic and manipulative. That's, that's not our God. And so what he's doing is telling us if we will seek his kingdom and his righteousness first, everything else fits on that foundation. He's the only foundation big enough for it all to fit on. You seek something else first and it is too small of a foundation for the rest of your life to fit on. It just won't. Things are going to slip off. It's going to feel like there's always something missing, always something out of order. So he tells us right from the beginning, if we'll just seek him first, his kingdom, his righteousness, everything else will be added on to us. And as we begin to lean into that, as we begin to seek his kingdom, we'll find that there's a place where the way our services traditionally go, we do it the same way, 
They model for us how to seek his kingdom and seek his righteousness. We all just had a wonderful time of worship. Yes, there was, you know, getting your coffee and donuts and having those connections, maybe catching up with somebody if you showed up a little early. But when we officially started, we start from a place of worship. And that is intentional because worship immediately says, I'm going to grab a hold of these, these song lyrics and we're all going to agree upon them. I'm, I'm going to begin to direct my attention towards God. And it is very intentional. We're in a, we, we put away our devices, we put away our conversations, we put away our thoughts, we begin to think about these words, we begin to sing these words, and all of a sudden we'll begin to feel a realignment in our heart. And then we'll begin to notice that all of a sudden at some point in the middle of song, first song, and middle of the second song, all of a sudden we begin to feel some stress kind of go off. We begin to feel some worry kind of begin to fall away and and we begin to recognize that as I begin to make my God bigger in my eyes, my problems begin to get smaller in my eyes. And it's a reminder that folks, you and I, we're wired for worship. We're wired for it. We're built for it. That's why God gives us directions on it. Because here's the truth. You're going you're gonna to worship something. You're going to find yourself elevating, pursuing, thinking about, making decisions around something. And everything you do that with is some level of a thing of worship. John speak, or God, Jesus speaks in John chapter 4, verse 23. He says, and yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his spirit, his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. Here's the thing is, is that the truth is powerful, but the spirit releases that that truth to actually exist and function in our lives. We need both of those things. As we look at what Jesus is saying, we need to understand so that we can see that this, there's, a, there's a progression because he says a time is coming and has now come. It, it's not that he's rethinking as he's speaking. It's not like, oh, a time's coming. Eh, no, it's, it's actually kind of already here. Um, no, he, he, he's talking about something that has begun, but is progressive. It, it would be the same way as if I walked into this room and I had a paint roller and, and some paint and then I walk over to the wall and says, okay, a time is coming. Actually, it is now here when this room is going to be entirely pink as I'm rolling out pink paint. It's not completed yet, but it has begun. A time's coming. It's going to be completely done, but it's already come. It's begun. The whole God, in this moment, Jesus begins to release this truth of worshiping in spirit and in truth. And then it was going to be something that we were going to grow in as the body of Christ. It was something that was going to be progressive. If we'll notice now in, in these day and age, worship plays a stronger and stronger role in our connection with God. There's a place where you and I, we just find it even easier, even with technology and all sorts of things to just integrate worship into more and more parts of our lives that, that it is this thing that is 
still to this day progressing as we take a sneak peek in Revelations where we're all standing before the throne of God. It's a throne where we are not commanded to, we are not forced to, we are in the presence of the greatest being ever and we're worshiping. It's spontaneous, it just takes place. We are moving in that generation. It is coming and has now come and we need to recognize that this is something that the Holy Spirit is doing in your life. It has showed up, you you have moments of worship but he is progressing for you to begin to live out of a place of worship, begin to develop a lifestyle of worship, that it begins to be a part of you. It's not just something you participate in in church gatherings. It's something that comes out of you. It's part of your home. It's part of you in your car. It's part of everywhere you go. And then that's just what Jesus is saying that the Holy Spirit is at work in and doing. We recognize that worship is vital because when Jesus is tempted in Luke chapter four, it's something the enemy wants to steal. It's something he wants to redirect and and miss a line. In fact, the very first thing that Jesus gets tempted with is tempted to take stones and turn them into bread to meet his needs by his own abilities. So if you're son of God, you've got miracle abilities, do this. Well, there are places where you have abilities. I have abilities. And there's a daily struggle for you and I to either lean on our own strength and our own understanding or let, or let God have those, steward those, and lean on him for our daily needs. This reflects back to seek first the kingdom of God and all these things, daily bread will be added unto you. And Jesus said, nope not going to have it. Man doesn't live by bread alone. And then the enemy immediately says, okay, well then I just want your worship. I just want your worship. And we see here in verse six, it says, this is the enemy talking. And uh, he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor for it has been given to me and I'll give it to anyone I want to. So if you worship me, it will all be yours. And he's, he has shown him all of the kingdoms of the earth. And he's like, I'll give you the whole world if you'll just worship me. The enemy understands how important our worship is. The enemy is constantly coming to just try to lure us into any place he can of worship. And Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. I love it that Jesus, he could have written scripture. He did write scripture. Every time he opened his mouth, he was declaring the truth. But in this moment where he's modeling how you and I deal with temptation. He doesn't do something spontaneous. He doesn't write some new scripture. He quotes something that's already been said. Modeling for you and I that what we need to do is we need to know God's word because the enemy's going to try to get us off of it. He's going to try to hijack us and what, and that becomes a place, not just a place of knowledge, but it becomes a sword that we utilize as the enemy tries to come in and to hijack and to take our worship. Worship is a place of battle and there's a battle going on for your worship. There's a place where the enemy wants to come in and he wants to take it. And so what we're going to look at is we're going to look at this truth 
that worship is so important is because it keeps us focused on how big and good our God truly is. You and I are, we're leaky vessels. We can have an amazing moment with God. God's faithful. God comes through. God is just God in our lives. We go on a couple of days, a couple of weeks, a couple of months. New thing comes at us. And we're like, ah! We act like God's never done anything in our lives. God, where are you? God, what happened? God, I thought you loved me. And the, and the enemy comes at us. He comes at us. And worship keeps it keeps the pump primed. Worship keeps us in an active remembrance of how big and good our God is. We see here in Ephesians chapter five, Paul has given some, some advice, some just practical advice to the believers in Ephesus. And he says, speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. Always give thanks to the Lord the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now the first part he says is kind of weird. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. He says, speak to one another. He doesn't say burst into song with one another. Like I'm gonna live a, I'm gonna live biblically according to Pauline doctrine, and now I'm going to sing everywhere I go. That all of a sudden that the early church looks like one of the modern remakes of movies. They're making musicals out of everything. And so that's not what we're called, that's not what we're called to, okay? And nobody wants me singing to them. Nobody wants me singing. It is not good. It is not good. But he says, speak with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. He didn't say sing, just speak to one another. Well, why on earth would he say that? Well, here's the thing is, if I wanted you to quote something, a song is the easiest thing for you to quote. Song is the easiest thing for you to quote. Now, I don't know a bunch of you are really good at movie quotes, but if you're good at movie quotes, you're amazing at lyric quotes. They just, just the, just the rhythm of it, the tune of it, it just ties it there, connects it into our heart and makes it easily accessible. You know what? Drake's lyrics are never going to get you out of an attack of the enemy. In fact, it might bring an attack of the enemy. It might, I don't know. But if you're a Drake fan, you can pull those lyrics up out of your mind with no problems. Well, you need to have some other lyrics memorized. You need to have some other things memorized, some things that are actually going to help you. Guess what? Some of the songs we sang today remind us that God makes a way, that God is faithful. Then all of a sudden you have some of those things hidden in your heart. And then when we interact with one another, we're going to interact. We're going to speak in a way that encourages each other as much as a song or a hymn spiritual song as much as one of those things that's how we're supposed to talk to one another when somebody comes up to you and 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 speaks to you the scriptures want it to be that you're like that is just so uplifting and poetic it's that should be a song that's the way we're supposed to move and go. And, and that's why worship is so important. It helps to hide those and have those things ready in our hearts. And, and it begins to make a difference in our lives. For the remainder of our time together, we want to look at a, 
Old Testament king, and a guy named King Jehoshaphat. Okay, King Jehoshaphat ruled during the time when Israel was broken up, and Israel was in two groups. There was there was the nation of Israel, makes sense, and then there was another nation um, called Judah, and. King Jehoshaphat was over um, Judah. And King Jehoshaphat was, uh, he, was he was a good king. He, he was a reformer. Uh, he was a king who had a heart after God. His dad had a heart after God, even though his dad didn't do everything he needed to do as a godly king. He still went down as a king whose heart was fully towards God all of his life. And um, we're going to begin to see as, as we jump into Second uh, Chronicles 17, verse 3, says that the Lord was with Jehoshaphat fat um, because he followed the ways of his father David before him. And you're like, I thought you just said his daddy was Asa. His daddy was Asa. King Asa was a great king. But David was the ultimate king. And as much as he was mentored by his king father in a good way, Jehoshaphat wanted to be able to, to follow after the one who was known as the man after God's own heart. And he says, and he followed after the ways of his father, David, before him. And he did not consult the Baals, which are the false gods, but sought the God of his father and followed his commands rather than the practices of Israel. And then in verse uh, five says, the Lord established the kingdom under his control and all Judah brought gifts to Jehoshaphat so that he had great wealth and honor. We're just seeing him begin to prosper as a king as he has his heart turned towards God. His heart was devoted to the ways of the Lord. Furthermore, he removed the high places and the Asherah poles from Judah, which was a thing his dad didn't do. Um, his dad did some really good things, but his dad didn't do that. And he just finished the work of his dad. And then in verse nine, it says, and, and they taught throughout Judah. King Jehoshaphat made sure of this, that they taught throughout Judah, taking with them the book of the law of the Lord. And they went around to all the towns of Judah and taught the people, taught them, cultivated a hunger for God among the villages and the towns. He didn't just say, hey, here, I live right next door to the temple. Um, I'm here in the, in the city of worship. And if y'all are interested in God, come and we'll, we'll help you out. No, he took it to the people. He made sure it went out to the people and it turned the heart of the people towards God and the fear of the Lord fell on all the kingdoms of the land surrounding Judah so that they did not go to war against Jehoshaphat. They're just like... Um, we ain't going to mess with this guy. We're just going to leave this guy alone. And some of the Philistines, which if you've been in church for any length of time, you know the Philistines are mean, bullies, and enemy to the people of God. But look what the Philistines are doing. They brought Jehoshaphat gifts and silver as tribute. Not because Jehoshaphat went out and whooped them, but because of his heart towards God. God just worked in the hearts of his enemy to make them begin to act friendly towards him. They now begin to be, be friendly towards him. And then the Arabs, they brought flocks, 7,700 rams and 7,700 goats. And Jehoshaphat became more and more powerful. He built forts and store cities in Judah, had large supplies in the towns of Judah. He also kept experienced fighting men in Jerusalem. And then we go through and there's one of the few censuses that's not a bad census. He, he, we actually go through and we, we get the number of fighting men in Judah. 
And you have to go through and you have to add them all up. But as you add them all up, it's a little over 1.1 million men ready to fight, that were trained ready to fight. Now, these aren't people living in barracks. They're not vocational soldiers. They're just trained men in Judah who know how to use a spear, who knows how to use a sword, who know how to go to battle. And there's 1.1 million of them ready. That's I realize we have the Marines and the Navy and the Air Force, praise God, but just looking at army to army, Jehoshaphat's fighting men was bigger than the U.S. Army is right now. I mean, that just, that's, he had a lot of, he had a lot of fighting men ready to go. He had peace on his borders because of God moving. He was wealthy. He had all sorts of success. And then we see that the little snare happens. And Israel had a wicked king. The, they had a lot of wicked kings, but they had the, at this time, they had the wickedest king, a guy named Ahab. If you've not heard of him, you've heard of his wife, Jezebel. Nobody wants to be called the Jezebel. You may not even know what, you don't even know what that is. You just know it's bad. You know, you're like, you're like going to pull your earrings out and meet outside if you get called a Jezebel. Like, we're, we're, we're about to go down. I don't even know what that means, but I, don't call me that. And so that's his wife. And, and so it, they're just a wicked, wicked, wicked couple. And they were about to go to war. And the favor of God is all over Jehoshaphat. Um, he has this strong army, has resources, has wealth. And uh, they begin to say, hey, come on, bro. We, sh- we share a heritage together. We're all of the sons of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Uh, he just begins to schmooze and... Jehoshaphat doesn't give in to wealth. He doesn't give in to to power and glory, but he does. There's a door found in flattery and being needed. And he decides to go with Ahab in this moment. He is smart enough to say, you know what? Have we asked God about this? And so they ask God, Ahab throws it out to his 400 yes men prophets. They're all like, yeah, 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 you're going to whoop them. And Jehoshaphat's like, isn't there like a real man of God out there? And Ahab's like, that dude hates me. Don't, don't ask him. He hates me. Well, they ask and God's like, no, I'm not in this. Don't do this. This is bad. Um, there's been a lying spirit inside of your prophets. Don't do it. Um, so Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat, he does something weird. He insists on asking God and then ignores God's counsel. How many of us as believers have fallen in that place? Like, I want to pray about this and then don't do what the Holy Spirit tells you in prayer. But you can tell your spouse, I prayed about it. Don't ask me what God said, but I prayed about it. Because <laughs> we ain't going with that. We ended up being a terrible. Ahab dies. Jehoshaphat almost dies. It was a bad deal. We go, God, God's smart. He knows what's up. And so then we see in chapter 19, in verse 4, it says, And then Jehoshaphat lived in Jerusalem, and he, the first time there was revival in Judah, he he had it. He commissioned it. But now, because he's led in being foolish 
He was foolish as a leader. He's now taken personal responsibility to help adjust the hearts of the people of the nation. What a beautiful act of leadership. And he, and he went out again among the people from Beersheba to the hill country of Ephraim and turned them back to the Lord, the God of their ancestors. He began to go to the villages. He began to go. The king began to go and say, you know what? We need to look to God only. We need to trust in God only. We need to honor God only. And he began to lead and then he begins to, to, to stir the people up to, for a hunger for God, a passion and a commitment for God. Jehoshaphat himself does this. And that's chapter 19. And then there's chapter 20. And chapter 20 says, after this, the Moabites and Ammonites and with them some of the Mennonites, they came up against Jehoshaphat to battle just been in a place of spiritual revival, just been in a place. And that's when the enemy decided, I'm going to come pick a fight. I'm going to invade. And there's some of you guys, you're like, pastor, I feel like this. Like we've, me and my family, we've been leaning into God lately, like never before. And all of a sudden the enemy's just come at us. He's just come at us. We've been having spiritual revival. We've been, we've been praying together as a family. We've been doing devotionals as a couple. We've been doing these different things. And then the enemy is coming in and trying to attack in the middle of that. And I'm here to tell you, if that is you, pay attention as we move through this. Pay attention. Because as we move through this, that they're coming in and they're sneaking. They didn't even come up the main road. They're sneaking in from behind and they find out verse verse three says, alarmed Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord. Now he's, he's done this before. And he proclaimed a fast for all of Judah. He didn't do that last time. And the people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. They came from every town. First, the king went out to every town and made spiritual deposits in those people. And then when the enemy comes in like a punk, like just a sneak attack, those were the people that came to him. The people he had helped make a spiritual deposit in are the people that come to rally to him. Folks, our small groups are not just because we're looking for something else to do as a church. Our small groups are are a place where you can come and begin to connect and pour into one another. Our small groups aren't something because we got up and coming leaders need somebody, a little group of people to lead and somebody to teach. No, we have to have a leader over the group so that it happens on time and all of those things. But it's about a group of people pouring into one another, stirring one another, praying for one another, cultivating relationships with one another. Why? Because the enemy is going to sneak up and he's going to attack. And the people you can call on the first and will rally to you are the people you've already been pouring relationship and cultivating spiritual fervor with. Too many times we just put that aside. Jehoshaphat had no idea that whenever he was turning the hearts of his people to the Lord, he was getting them ready for an attack of the enemy. Let's just be honest. If he had known the enemy was coming, he'd have been out there doing sword drills. 
He'd have been out there. All right, you fighting man, get out there and do that. Practice your spear chunking, do all that. No, he was putting his, his attention where it really mattered because the spiritual battle is more important than the physical battle. And just, and just Jehoshaphat didn't even know what he was doing and he was getting everything prepped and he was getting everything ready. And then in verse 12, it says, we see that uh, he's praying. Jehoshaphat is praying. And he says, our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. Uh, whoa, whoa, whoa. You got like a million plus fighting men. What do you mean you got no power? He already had gone into a battle trusting in that. And it didn't work. He's like, nope. No, what, what humans think is power, that is not power. That's not power. I'm thankful for the people I've got in my corner, but God, you're the one who's going to, you're the real source of power. You're the real one. He says, for we don't have any power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Here's all these people come together. He's their king. And that's, this is his prayer they hear. I don't know what to do, God. Most of the time, you don't want your leader saying, I don't know what to do. (laughs) But they had cultivated a spiritual growth that they knew that their leader was asking the one who did. That the faith of them as a community, he had the freedom to be vulnerable. He had the freedom to be honest. He had the freedom to be real and say, I don't know what to do. We don't know what to do. Our eyes are on you. And all the men with Judah, with their wives and their children and their little ones, the kids are involved. Please, I get it. Your your little ones, they don't have to know all the details of your spiritual battle. But there's some times where it's okay to tell your little ones, you know what? We're going to pray. And I'm going to bring you into prayer. You don't got to know the details. You just got to know we're looking to God. And don't give them something their little hearts can't handle. But don't leave them out of the things that they're called to stand with you in. You have to bring in. That's where discipleship is made. So even their little ones are there and stood before the Lord. And then the spirit of the Lord came up on Jehaziel, son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, the son of Mattaniah, a Levite and a descendant of Asaph. As he stood in the assembly, there was the, the, he, the generations are given on purpose and goes back to Asaph because Asaph was one of the men appointed by David to lead the worship. And Asaph wrote 12 of our Psalms. Asaph had a heart to worship and his children had cultivated this heart for worship. And so the one who gets the word from God is a guy who has a heritage of worship. God doesn't speak directly to the king. God speaks to this guy who has a heritage of worship. And in verse 15, he says, Listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army. For the battle is not yours, but God's. It's God's battle. Don't worry. Don't freak out, be freaked out about it. It's God's battle. Tomorrow, march down against them. It's God's battle. But you're called to show up. You're called to show up. So many of our prayers are like, God, make it go away. God, make it go away. 
go away. I don't want to show up. I don't want to deal with it. I don't want to have that hard conversation with my spouse. I don't want to have to do this. Lord, just fix it. Just make it go away. God says, I'm with you, but I'm with you. You got to show up. You got to be there. Tomorrow, march down against them. They will be climbing up by the pass of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jeruel. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your positions, stand firm, and see the deliverance the Lord will give you. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid, do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. Again, three times he tells them to go. Three times. You got to show up. Jehoshaphat bowed with his face to the ground. All the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down to worship before the Lord. Then some Levites from the Kohathites and the Korathites stood up and they praised the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. All of a sudden, this time of prayer, this time of worship started to get a little rowdy. All of a sudden, this couple of these men stood up and they're like, they began to raise their hands. They began to raise their voices. They begin to get excited and shout. Then maybe you're new to kind of our style of worship here and you're like, I enjoy the music, man. Some people, they kind of get a little bit excited. You stand at the back and you see some random heads pop up here and once and they're like, what's happening up there? And man, somebody's getting a little excited. Somebody's jumping. Somebody's getting a little loose. Somebody's because they understand that there's a battle they're going through, but the battle doesn't belong to them. That God's going to be with them. God's going to carry them forward. God's the one who's going to make the difference. When that begins to get on the inside of you like it did these guys, all of a sudden you get loud. All of a sudden you get rowdy. All of a sudden you begin to lift up your voice. And that's what we begin to see in this space. Again, they're getting rowdy. And early in the morning, they left for the desert of Tekoa. And as they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, listen to me, Judah and the people of Jerusalem, have faith in the Lord your God and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets and you will be successful. He reminded that the prophetic voice makes a difference. Why? Because what they were going in was on a prophetic voice that God gave one man a word. Like we believe God was speaking that and we're going to do everything based on that. And in verse 21, I have this really cool moment here. It's a really cool moment. It says, after consulting the people, folks, that is typically a bad idea. It just is. Typically it's a bad idea. But these people had been cultivating a relationship with God. They were in a place of revival. They were in a place of unison and hearing God. It's not just that consulting people is a bad idea. It's the fact that most of the time we consult the wrong people. We don't consult people whose hearts are bent towards God, whose hearts are for him, who've listened to his word and what God has to say. These people had, and after consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army. They 
got together and they said, you know what we think would be a really good idea? This is the consulting the people. Um, instead of sending the guy was with the spears out front, uh, instead of sending the guys with the shields out front, uh, why don't we take our choir and their songbooks and let's stick them out front. Let's do that. And that was, that was all of their idea. They're all like, yeah, that's a good idea. God said we're not going to have to fight. He's going to do it. Yeah, we'll be out front. This was not a mandate from God. God didn't say in this moment, prove your faith in me by doing something really foolish in battle and stick all your singers and your choirs out front. They don't have their, they don't have all of their armor. They got their robes, the little choir robes and they're sitting out there. Man, that was their idea. It was their faith response to the fact that God was about to do something cool. He's like, God's about to do something different. We're going to do something different. We're about to just send the worshipers out front. And it's not worshiping him because he's strong in battle. They're not singing a battle cry of how awesome God is, that he's going to plunder the enemy. They're singing about how good he is. They're singing about how awesome he is, how faithful he is. They're singing about his nature. They're singing about his heart. They're not singing about what his hand does. They sing about what, what his heart is. Give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. Can you imagine being one of the enemies? They're like, okay, they're about to send out. Okay, they're singers. All right, they're about to like get into like some death metal or something. They're about to like scream. We're going to kill you all. We're going to kill you all. <laughs> no, they're, 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 that's, that's not what happens. They come out and they sing. His love endures forever. His love endures forever. That's their song. Because his love endures forever. That was what they were relying on. That was what their whole life was hinged on is that his love endures forever. And as they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who were invading Judah and they were defeated. They didn't fight at all. We begin to see right after this, they go out. There's so much, the army is so vast. There's so much plunder. It takes Judah three days to carry all of the stuff back. What the enemy was trying to come in and to, to bring a battle, it ended up being curbside delivery. They ended up having all of these clothes and things of value and all of these things that then they brought into their homes. God turned this place of destruction into a place of blessing. And they just, they just sang their way through it. They worshiped their way through it. The word went out to everyone around and all the other nations were so freaked out that in, in the, the, next, in the next years in, in Jehoshaphat's reign, there's a time of peace. There's a time of peace. It was a lasting peace that went out. This thing was a monumental moment that took place. See, here's the truth. As they understood that God was good and his love endured forever, they were singing songs of gratitude and worship. It's a natural product of a thankful heart. 
James chapter 5, verse 13. It says, is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Paul writes to the Colossians, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, with all psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts. Folks, worship realigns. It just realigns, it reminds, it connects. Thank you for listening to this message from Celebration Church. You can keep up with all that God is doing here at Celebration by following us on Facebook and Instagram.